And some FAI blazer, all the players were in one room, and some FAI blazer went in and said, lads, be quiet, the President of Ireland is on the phone, uh, which, of course, was a cue for immediately the entire squad started chanting, there's only one Jackie Charlton. Hello comrades and you're very welcome to the Football Spin. It's Football Spin on a Saturday morning. Paddy McKenna, Dion Fanning and Naz Chowdhury. We had a show planned for this morning but that's changed because we've just been greeted with the sad news that Irish and British football icon Jack Charlton has died at the age of 85. Um, Jack won the World Cup with England in 66. He had 35 international caps with England. He played his entire club career with Leeds United. He was a one club man. And he represented them over 600 times. He managed Newcastle, Sheffield United and Middlesbrough. But Dion, it's fair to say that for football fans, Jack Charlton will always be remembered as the man who put Irish football on the map. Uh, You could say that. Yeah, you could say that. And I think the fact that you would say that also underlines what he did. Because I would say for Irish football fans... He didn't put Irish football on the map because they were uh, um, committed and devoted and there was enough of a history and there were so many great players and teams that had had so much potential um, that it wouldn't be correct to say that from the point of view of the Irish football fraternity. But from the point of view of Ireland and its relationship with football, he changed that. And from the point of view of Ireland and how it went out into the world and uh, succeeded or made its mark in football, he changed that. So I think, like with everything, uh, it was complicated. It wasn't. There were there were there there were clashes. There was like the 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 whole Jack the Charlton years were years of, uh, you know, there was a lot of friction. There was a lot of different things that uh, people would, would look upon and think this could have been done differently, this could have been done differently. But underneath it all was the fact that one man, Jack Charlton, came in and what he did more than anything was he, he took away Irish football's introspection. He was, he was so clear in what he wanted and you could argue about what he wanted, but he was so clear in what he wanted that suddenly everything seemed to change. Like Irish football for generations, and certainly for the 15 years previous to that, when, they, when there was actually a good team full of talented players, Liam Brady, Mark Lawrence, and Paul McGrath coming through, uh, Frank Stapleton, um, all players playing at the top, Ronnie Whelan. Um, these players, everywhere, every time Ireland was, was getting close to something, something bad would happen. There would be a terrible refereeing decision. There would be uh, you know, a, a bounce of the ball. Something would go wrong. And from the moment, more or less the moment Jack Charlton took over, that seemed to change. And that, but that wasn't luck. That wasn't luck. There was a, there was a sense, because of... of of the clarity of, of, of his vision, if you like, even though there were, again, 
It was a limited vision in many ways, but the clarity of that vision uh, changed things for Ireland. So the first game, the first game of the Jack Charlton era was an away match. And we're not going to go through every game of the Jack Charlton era. <laughs> the first game of the Jack Charlton era was an away match in Belgium. And Belgium had got to the World Cup semi-finals in 86. And this was in the autumn of 1986. And Ireland were 2-1 down. And in the last minute, I think it was Frank Stable who was brought down. John Murray Pfaff came out of the goal and he tripped him. And Ireland had a penalty, which Liam Brady scored to equalise and get an away point, which uh, in those days we got used to kind of winning matches one all or winning matches two all. But in those days that was huge. And that continued all through that campaign and ended on the most significant moment in Irish sporting history, and I think in Irish cultural history, when, our, when Scotland played Bulgaria in Sofia in November 87, and uh, Bulgaria needed a point to qualify for the European Championships, and instead Gary Mackay, Scotland had no, nothing to play for, Gary Mackay scored the goal, beat Bulgaria 1-0, and Ireland qualified for the European Championships. And again, you could say, what a stroke of luck. And maybe that was a stroke of luck. But Ireland were there to make the most of that luck. And that was because of Jack Charlton. And Dion, again, for context, when Jack Charlton came in in, in 86, Ireland had, as you say, this kind of like lots of near misses, almost qualifying in several different major tournaments. And then over the next period of eight years in the opportunities to qualify for major tournaments coming every two years. He qualified Ireland for the 88 Euros, our first major tournament, the 90 World Cup. Missed out in 92 by a hair's breadth. Um, that was incredibly painful and very close. Um, then qualified Ireland for the 94 World Cup and then failed to qualify Ireland for the 96 Euros, which was his, his, which was his swan song when Ireland were beaten in a playoff against uh, Holland at Anfield 2-0 and that was the the end for Jack but ultimately so much success in terms of Ireland because he brought us to these levels that we'd never been to before um Naz, in terms of your kind of perception of Jack Charlton as a player and as um, a footballer a manager from your point of view like your memories of him in terms of like looking on like the 90 World Cup, do you, what's your memories of that? Do you remember that like Ireland, England, like 88 obviously was huge for Ireland because Ray Houghton put the ball in the English net. We have songs about that. <laughs> but uh, looking back, like your perception of Jack Chart. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the 1990 World Cup was was like my first, uh, the, f- the first World Cup I can really remember. And, and in a lot of ways, because it was the first, it's like... Uh, woke up I'm I'm fondest of and uh Ireland and uh Jack Charlton w- were part of that um it's it, it, and because it because it happened when I was when I was very young it's it's kind of um each figure in it has, has, has sort of developed a an almost mythical sort of uh uh presence like in in, in my in my sort of imagination and and for for Ireland it's kind of mixed up with with other cultural references like um like the van do you know, it was it was it the van mm. that, that sort of yeah mm. yep um Marty Dodd like, stuff like that and uh and obviously sort of uh um Bonner making a save and and I, I mean the actual the actual game with with uh, England like all I remember about it was like how the the commentators were quite sort of uh 
the commentators were, were kind of saying this is going to be a typical sort of like English style game, um, sort of rough and tumbling thing. But like, it, I just remember it being like a really, really dull game. It was, it was like, it was, it was like a the World Cup seemed so exciting and sort of so exotic, and uh, and 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 there was this game, and again, like, like it's not as if like uh, Ireland were any less exotic to me because like I didn't know any of the players of that of that age, but like it was just a really dull game. But um, it's a uh, with 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 Jack Charlton, he was this larger than life character even then. And again, this is going to make me sound like a really stupid kid, but um, I. I wasn't sort of like I'd not I, I I was like I was like ten or something so I'd I'd never I'd never come into contact with the with the Geordie accent so I thought he was Irish <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought that was an Irish accent <laughs> so so and and I, I was aware of Bobby Charlton so 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 my immediate thought when I was uh, uh, like uh, made aware of him was I was thinking oh, I think Bobby Charlton's got a brother but um it was it was like my in my mind like I thought of him. Like and then I still kind of think of him as as Ireland's manager rather than England's World Cup winning defender, if you know what I mean. And um, and yeah, and like I talk about the sort of mythology of that sort of World Cup in my head. Um, I also remember all these um, all these images of of like the Irish team meeting the Pope, and like and like I've, I've even got like because obviously sort of Jack Charlton was like a like a like a big bloke and. Uh, and and uh, Pope John Paul II was was smaller and 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 like I've just got this image of like of like Jack Charlton like uh, towering over him like over his shoulder like it was like it was almost like he was he was sta- he was stood next to Bobby, um, but yeah it was it was it was it's, 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 and it's so interesting because obviously like part of that World Cup was um was England being managed by Bobby Charlton and. In, in a strange way, and I know the different people, but like in, in a strange way, uh, Bobby Robson. Yeah, sorry, Bobby Robson. Yeah, and 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 I, and I see them as uh, I see them as uh, as similar people in a way. Not not in not not in not in too many ways because because obviously uh, their their sort of managerial styles were very different, and uh, and Bobby Robson had a very different philosophy and sort of like a perhaps like a like a more impressive CV and everything. But it was it was the fact that. And I don't. I, I I honestly don't mean this in a in a disrespectful way at all. But like, like they were, they had a combination of of like getting stuff wrong, like getting names wrong, sort of like having like this comedy element to them. But then at the same time having utter respect, like 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 they'd walk into a room and like like they've got everyone everyone's respect or like um like players would players would laugh about them getting names wrong. Like Paul Park would laugh about uh. About Bobby Robson getting his getting his name wrong, um, you'd have a, you'd have like a, I think it was um, I can't remember the, um, the 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 Liverpool the Liverpool defender McAteer McAteer would sort of like uh, laugh about uh, Jack Charlton getting getting uh, names wrong, and yet in in spite of these sort of mistakes, they they still had this massive level of respect for them. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I think the interesting thing about Bobby Robson in some ways is I think. More respect grew. He he developed his stature almost grew after the England job when he went. Uh, you know he went and he went to uh, PSV and went to Barcelona, um, and I think at that time and again going back to that thing of Ireland being robbed of its or losing its introspection, like there was a line somebody said about Bobby Robson and like he was so beleaguered as England manager and he was under he was subject to the most vicious. Uh, you know tabloid abuse 
And there was a line about Bobby Robson that he has a look of a man who fears he's perpetually, or he perpetually fears that he's left the gas on at home, you know? And you, like, and you would have, and I remember those games against England, and there was always that sense with Jack Charlton, because that wasn't there, you always felt that England under Robson, because of all the competing forces, they were, they were riddled with angst and insecurity and self-doubt. What should they be doing? Who should they be playing? Should Glenn Hoddle be in the team? What, should be, what way should they be playing? Um, and Jack Charlton, on the other hand, uh, robbed the, like just removed all that, you know, and, 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 you know, forcefully. And, like, you saw it in the way he treated people like Liam Brady uh, as a footballer and, you know, took him off against, Hol- or against Germany after 36 minutes and ended his international career <clears throat> because he wasn't doing what he wanted to do. And he used, you know, he... He used these players to deliver the message that he was his way was the only way, and in that, like you can see an awful lot. Like for two people who came from the same, you know, the same place, there was there were they were in that sense their personalities were very different as well. And I think Charlton's personality, uh, like there was no way, uh, like the fact that he came from where he came from. Um, meant he could succeed in Ireland too. Like, I don't think, you, know, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't imagine, uh, a, I don't think you could imagine uh, a, like a Southern English, a Southern English manager succeeding in Ireland at, at that point. Um, but because he was from, from Newcastle, because he, he had, you know, he was into, like all this, this stupid things, like into fishing, but mainly because he was from Newcastle and didn't, and had it was sort of anti-establishment too, and was sort of removed from things in his own way, and uh, an underdog in some ways. Jack, even though he was, you know, he came from this blue-blooded family. Um, you know, his, his uncle was was Jackie Milburn. His brother obviously was Bobby Charlton. Like, if if Jack Charlton's career had ended, if I, if Jack Charlton had never done anything after, you know, after 1986 and he never got the Ireland job, which is what was meant to happen in the, in the way the FAI were approaching it. They wanted Bob Paisley to get the Ireland job. If nothing else had happened, we'd probably still be here talking about him today because of what he did with England and what he did with Leeds. And you can never forget like that Leeds team that he was such a central figure in. Um, and he was kind of, uh, symbol of how Don Revy turned that around because his career was going nowhere before that happened, before Revy came in and it transformed um, but he remained the same person, like that was the thing you know, you will hear people like John Giles talk about Jack Charlton and they'll say uh, you know, how as a player, he would always uh, he would, you know, he would, he would have a certain view of the game and you couldn't dispute it with him and that remained true all the way through and it was the thing that Ireland uh, benefited from. Dion, there's um, I'm sure it's the day on furls now. We're going to hear lots of anecdotes about Big Jack because his personality obviously was there for all to see. Nas has referenced that as well. He was larger than life. He's standing beside the Pope, towering over him with his big grin. There's the stories like towards the end, the, the, the Harry's Challenge, which is a famous story the night before Ireland were to play Austria for qualification. Um, for Euro 96 again they lost at Lansdowne Road 
um, Charlton would have taken them into Harry Ramson's uh, the chipper, which he had shares in, basically to finish off a massive plate of fish and chips and get a free dessert. Um, like that was just, uh, and he did that. And the players fondly remember that, even though obviously it's precipitated a bad defeat. Um, and his response at the time, I think, was like, "I like fish and chips," and the players like fish and chips. So, like, he he was pretty uh, remorseless in that regard. But like Dion, it was like. His personality was just perfect for Ireland, wasn't it? Because he had this kind of brusque confidence and there was something about the Irish kind of, you, you're you're talking about like that sort of like the awakening that Ireland had at that time. Now, as you mentioned, the van, like that Roddy Doyle, like the 90 World Cup was this cultural, like it was a cultural revolution for Ireland. Irish people suddenly realised, wow, we, we fit into this kind of global picture. And Dion. Jack Charlton's personality, because in fairness, like the the charge is often leveled that we had our golden generation of footballers. He had an amazing team to pick and he played a very basic style of football. But it's his personality that elevated the team, maybe more so than his tactics. Yeah, well, yeah, I think so. I, well, I think there was a a, a sense, um, you know, like Irish football. And this, this, is, this is as true today as it is was. 35, 40 years ago, uh, Irish football, like every other aspect of Irish life, is governed by the uh, Brendan Bean principle that the first thing on the agenda is the split. And the, the sense that there, you know, that factions will form and fight against each other and do each other down and bring down people uh, because of, 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 of slights real or imagined that may have taken place 10 years ago, 15 years ago, five minutes ago, whenever. Um, that is all, that is, that is ever present. And I don't I actually don't think that has changed. And if you talk about uh, Irish football and various aspects of Irish football, that remains the case. And the one, the thing that Jack Charlton was able to do, and you could see, you could make an argument about this being a sort of, uh, a, 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 a post-colonial hang-up and a and a fact that a, a an, an outsider had to come in and just you know, because he was you know he was he didn't care about the uh, he didn't care about the the, the the patches he didn't care about whose whose turf he was standing on you know and, and brutally at times like there was football people like Liam Toohey who was a, a mentor of of the of the you know, subsequent Irish manager Brian Kerr, who was sort of cast aside because Jack Charlton didn't like the way his underage football teams were playing football. Um, we talked about Brady. Um, little turf wars like this, he didn't care about. He just came in and delivered his clear message uh, and then disappeared. You know, in, in, to, in folklore, he disappeared to go fishing. He was always fishing. When anyone, like, you know, when anything happened in, in Irish football, like the day of, you know, Gary Mackay's goal, supposedly he was fishing. You know, that they couldn't get hold of him, he was fishing. If you couldn't find Jack, he was fishing. Like, but it was a fantastic, uh, it was a fantastic way to kind of, to remove yourself from, you know, all those, all those squabbles. Because he would just come in and say, this is what we want. Uh, do it or don't do it. If you don't do it, you're not, in, you're not involved. And uh, and people responded to that. And the people responded to the fact that it was successful too because, like, I remember Euro 88 and Euro 88 was big, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, you know, compared to Italian 90, like when Ireland beat England, it was still not quite the preserve of just football people, but it wasn't what Italian 90 became. It wasn't this cultural 
uh, kind of uh, wave that just swept or took up everything in his path. And and I think it's interesting, Paddy, even that you say that like he put Irish football on the map because I would, uh, and I'd, I'd be interested in this from your point of view, like rural Ireland and places that weren't uh, football hot, you know, hotbeds, if you like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they were awakened by Jack Charlton. And that was the extraordinary thing. And I, I, I remember like Italia 90 and you'd have this strange sensation. And it was hugely significant at the time that like, you know, the, uh, the secretary or the director general of the, of the GAA would come on and wish the Ireland team luck. And you always, everyone would be parsing their statement because there was this sense that uh, these were forces not just because they were competing sporting bodies, competing for people to play sports, but because, um, like, it, it's no time at all pre- prior to that that you weren't allowed play. In in historic terms, it was only fifteen years or so before, twenty years before, thirty years, say before Italian ninety, um, that you couldn't play f- football and play and be, and be part of the uh, part of the GA. You'd be banned. What was known as the ban was there. So there was this cultural and historic and uh, deep um, antipathy to football uh, and what it represented in the eyes of Gaelic, of GAA people. And that, you know, that doesn't exist anymore, as far, I would say, except for maybe some real diehards. So like from where you were growing up, yep. what was that like? Talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah, well, it's it's funny you say that because I definitely think Jack's personality was a big sort of factor in breaking those down those last barriers because he was an outsider because he was he was English but he was larger than life he felt like one of our own and he was just funny like I mean he was a magnetic character so he was kind of hard to resist as well in that way in that he could bring a lot of people with him even people that weren't part of we'll say what would be known as the soccer tradition um I remember very clearly 1991 I was nine and Ireland obviously had done this incredible thing qualifying for the quarterfinals of the World Cup which sure felt like Ireland had won the World Cup I remember going up to a place called Manor Hamilton and again where I'm from in the northwest Sligo Rovers would be the big team in the northwest and then in Leitrim the, the one really big, big team we went to Manor Hamilton to, to see Jack Charlton I remember like cramming into a hotel for six hours we waited for Jack Charlton and he just never showed up he just didn't show up and maybe he was gone fishing who can say but I have that very clear memory of him not showing up and we just got in the car drove 30 miles home and we still love Jack Charlton like it was like it didn't matter it didn't matter like it like it's such a vivid memory even just going like this pilgrimage to see Jack and I mean that is kind of like I wouldn't imagine that there was ever a footballing figure before Jack Charlton that would have had that lure that could have brought people out to see this this big Geordie man who had like you know was glib in interviews and funny and charming and as you say the whole mythology the fishing he was one of us like he was this honorary Irish man and very quickly that became a thing and I do think that he broke down some probably like the thing was beginning to obviously like my own father played GA and soccer together, like, and that's in Leitrim, like, so it wasn't taboo, but he definitely helped to break down those barriers. And yeah, in my mind, at least Dion, that definitely like, 
and I like obviously I grew up uh, like nineties my first um, tournament as well now in terms of my memories of it. But like we went to Ireland matches all through the nineties because suddenly Irish football was the thing that you wanted to be a part of and you wanted to be close to. And without Jack Charlton, eighty eight, ninety, ninety four. Like they're they're so essential for Irish football, and maybe somebody else would have come in and done it as well. Like maybe else, maybe Bob Paisley could have come in and qualified Ireland for the '88 World Cup. But you know yourself, Dion. Like the '88 World Cup, sorry, the '88 Euros is such an important tournament for Ireland because we beat England, and we beat England one nil. And like, there's lots spoken about that tournament um, in terms of the Dutch game and the Russian game, but. You you kind of said it there, like Jack Charlton was able to come in and make those players feel like they could beat England, and 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 that that one fixture, that one result, one nil, is such a crucial moment for Irish culture and obviously Irish football as well. Yeah, I I would. It's funny when you say and and people say that the thing about him being a, an honorary Irishman. Um, I always felt that was something that English England said about him. Uh, I think very much in Ireland he was <laughs> an Englishman, uh, and yet, and that was kind of crucial. It wasn't; it was critical that he was actually English because, uh, it, you know, without going too much into it, he was he uh, allowed people to kind of um, express affection for a certain type of English person that maybe they felt they couldn't express affection for before, and he wasn't Irish. So he didn't, and that was crucial because in terms of uh, football and GA and these various different things, urban versus rural, and all these kind of things that I think people would have, have detected would have would have been quicker to detect aspects of the personality that they didn't quite uh, warm to, um, if there would have been a, a kind of if he'd been from the traditional. Uh, football you know like dublin football world or something he wouldn't have maybe he wouldn't have, have been embraced across ireland the way he was so i think uh i don't i i think he was because of where he you know the, because of where he came from that was that was a uh that was kind of critical to to what um to what he did uh i i think that is important I, I find that really, I find that point really interesting. Um, just because, um, and again, like w- w- we spoke cricket in 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 the, in the last uh, episode, but um, like like Pakistani cricket, like Pakistani general, like like it's 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 famously ha- has and has had its uh, its its problems and its troubles, but like one of them is is factionalism and sort of like like it's it's almost like if anyone is successful, there's there's like different parts of the country or different sort of like uh areas of uh, or, or sort of um rivals in, in in different parts of the country that will sort of uh criticize them or sort of uh th- there's jealousy or there's or this sort of rivalry and all sorts and it's it's a proper melting pot of sort of like uh and it, it can be really unhealthy in a way it's, it's just like a load of sort of familial infighting within the country and um when and, and like when when uh Bob Wilmer sort of uh, came in to coach the the team. That was seen as a like a a really positive thing that a somebody from the outside had come in, like like uh, almost clean as it as in sort of like they're not on anyone's side. They're not from this part of the country or that part of the country, and they could sort of come in as as like a neutral and sort of and especially 
someone like Bob Woolmer, and and I suppose there's uh, parallels to to Jack Charlton in in that like he he kind of uh, kind of um, embraced what the country was about, decided what his what his tactics were going to be in the context of of that country, and sort of uh, and and sort of it worked. And 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 I suppose I suppose you could I suppose it sounds as if it, that's a similar thing with uh, with Jack Charlton. Um, I've I've actually got a question for for you two, um, just because I, I was listening to both of you talk about the fact he he, he uh, obviously was English and and that he came into uh, Irish football, um, and 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 this whole thing that sort of like it's great to have a leader who's certain like like if if you're nervous about international football if you're nervous about a World Cup game it's great to sort of turn to like your manager and just he's he's this big sort of absolutely certain committed sort of like. Uh, presence who's not sort of phased by any any sort of pressure or anything um um, jason mcateer said uh, there's something about jack tartan that makes me want to play for him Uh, he could be the manager of swaziland and i'd jump at the chance to play for him um it was just the way he spoke the man was infectious now obviously both jack tartan and jason mcateer have got uh well could be well um jack tartan definitely but like jason mcateer scouser uh, and there's lots of players that sort of came in who were were f- f- from the UK or born in the UK, and and at the time there was and and, and it sort of it sort of carried on for ages. It was like, have you got an Irish grandmother? Have you got an Irish grand grandparent? So you, then, therefore, you can play for Ireland. How how was it perceived in Ireland in terms of like um, these these basically this uh, diaspora sort of like a net of like getting these English players in was that accepted or was that fine or what well well, I think it was very useful that uh, it became the butt of jokes among people in England um, because that allowed Irish people to get very protective over, uh, over, over, over the players who were playing for Ireland because you know again up until this day any time uh, anyone in England makes some sort of commentary about Irish life that we find a little bit uh, close to the bone or just inaccurate and um, uh, Ireland rises up as one to uh, to rebut it so I think the fact that that was the kind of you know people would say that you know go for a you go for a pint of Guinness in Ireland and your next thing you know you're playing for Ireland and all these terrible jokes that uh, on a very superficial level allowed Irish people to um, bring these people bring the players in but then there was a, there was an essential uh, truth about about the fact that they were playing for Ireland which was that they were the 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 sons of of emigrants they were the sons of and grandsons and uh great grandsons in some cases there was I'm not sure if it's apocryphal or not there was always a great quote of of John Aldridge's when he when he was capped for Ireland and I think he qualified through his uh great grandmother and there was a, a possibly apocryphal quote where he said, "I was always very fond of my great gran." And uh, it's like, okay, hold on. <laughs> um, and uh, so, but they were. But this was important, and this was uh, an important thing. And emigration for you know is uh, there are many kind of great shames in 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 Irish life, and emigration was one of them. And through, like we we like we Ireland takes like everywhere Ireland takes pride in. In, in people who, as a society, Ireland has not embraced. So, like you know, uh, like you know, you go everywhere you go in Ireland. Like James Joyce has been incorporated into uh, you know official Irish life, and he is part of the reason you'll be you'll be drawn to Ireland 
because you might this is the land of James Joyce, whereas in fact it was a land that Joyce was totally conflicted by and had to leave or left. Uh, and, you know, it wasn't a country that the nets, as he put it, of nationalism and the church were something he was going to escape. And this was, yet we now embrace him. But you, you, that conflict uh, and that sense that these people had gone, had left the country, um, now it kind of was all joined again and unified because it was like, okay, the sons and grandsons of these of these people are now representing Ireland. And okay, mm. it, it may have been, uh, you know, there may have there was obviously professional reasons for it, and and many players probably took it saw it as a as, as a good step in their career. But it also uh, Irish people were able to um, were able to uh, to unite around that idea, and I think that was the thing that. And you know they all had, they all had a story, and they all had. And I remember, and that was the thing about those that team as well. Like I remember magazine supplements, Italian ninety. There was a newspaper had a a magazine supplement written, I think, entirely by David Walsh, who's now at the Sunday Times. Uh, and it was you know in depth interviews with every player in or, you know fifteen of the players in 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 the Ireland squad and. They all had stories, whether it was Chris Hewton, Mick McCarthy, uh, different, you know, Kevin Moore, and obviously was, you know, came through the GAA, um, Andy Townsend, Cascarino. Um, they all had different stories, but you could all, you could, you could link them all up in a certain way and make sense of it in terms of Ireland that maybe you didn't, which maybe was different to the Ireland you, you, you'd seen before. I don't remember a point where there was ever any kind of it was anything other than when you put on the green jersey, you represent Ireland and they're Irish. And and that sense of like what Dion alluded to there, that like because the diaspora had spread far and wide, that when they come back to play for Ireland, of course, you know, they're they're either first or second generation and it, it all just fitted in and it was it was never a kind of uh it never felt like it it didn't fit. And 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 really, with football fans, Irish football fans, I think it's almost it's never that you'll hear anything different, really, because um, you, and we write up to now like we have it with Jack Grealish and Declan Rice, and it's more painful now because of those kind of tug of wars. Um, I don't have the same memories of those tug of wars from Jack's era, like a lot of very good players that could have played for England and Ireland would say people like. Um, you know, somebody like Mark Lawrence and I don't remember, like Dion, you, you'll probably be able to share. I don't recall a, a Mark Lawrence and tug of war, but essentially like uh, Mick McCarthy too. But I think Lawrence probably was a player that may have played, probably had the quality to play for England. Um, but there wasn't that sort of um, over and back that there is now. No, but it was different then. But I think, see, I do think, I think it all, it all, uh, it, it allowed, a bit like Jack himself, that stuff allowed us then to, like, I don't think, it wasn't just that they were first, they, the fact that they had gone to England and there was something, you know, undeniably English about them as well as Irish was important, you know, because they were bringing those aspects of England uh, as well as Ireland into the personality of the Irish team. Um, and perhaps... The, you know, Andy Townsend was a was a great example. I, Andy Townsend was a kind of, you know, 
a kid who grew up like you know wanting to be a professional snooker player like hustling you know playing you know games of snooker as a teenager the classic misspent youth youth who couldn't have come from could really maybe could have come from Dublin or, or possibly really had to come like he was such a kind of London kid uh, and he brought that kind of swagger then into the Ireland team like so there was all these forces and again those elements so like I was I was I was listening to uh, the Tim Burgess I was doing the Tim Burgess listening thing, party whatever it's called on on Twitter last night listening to uh, Lexi's Midnight Runners and thinking about Kevin Rowland, whose parents came from Mayo and grew up, and he grew up in Wolverhampton. And just listening to, they were doing the, uh, oh, I mean, they were doing Don't Stand Me Down, that incredible album, um, absolutely phenomenal album. I was listening to it, I was listening to it last night, I was listening to it again this morning and thinking, and there's a lot of stuff in that about Rowland talking about where he's gone in his life and away from his roots and coming back to his roots. And emigration, being an essential part of that, an essential part of the forming, and the and you know he wouldn't have been if 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 Kevin Rowland's parents had stayed in Mayo, there wouldn't have been Dexy's Midnight Runners, like for lots of reasons, like that's just a reality. And so, whatever the 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 the, the combination of of Ireland and England, uh, for so many reasons, and you know it, it goes to the you know the Gallagher brothers, it goes to so many different things uh, created this sort of force and in in the Ireland, Irish football team it just was emerging um that was critical and one other thing I'll say before I forget it is when you talked about McIntyre saying he'd go and play for Charlton Jack Charlton wherever he went uh as a kid I went to um I went to Euro 88 I went to the Ireland Holland game Euro 88 uh um and there's two things that I remember about that week and that trip. I remember, I remember it all. I remember the England game, obviously. But in terms of the Ireland, Ireland's general relationship and obsession with football and how it hadn't really taken off yet, I remember the game against the USSR on the Wednesday. And it was approaching half time, And we had to get passports because we were flying to Germany on the Friday, myself and my brother, to go to the Holland game. And... They needed to be witnessed in the in the police in the guard station. So my my father said he would go out and get the passport signed in the police station, passport form signed at half time. So he went out just before half time. Uh, I think it was about nine minutes before half time, and eight minutes before half time, Ronnie Whelan scored that volley. Um, Mick McCarthy long throw and Whelan scored. Perhaps still the greatest goal ever scored by an Irish player, even if he shinned it. <laughs> and um, and I went, I went running out to get my dad, who'd just gone out to get the thing, to call him back to see the goal. And I went running out into the street, and our next door neighbours were out on the road cleaning their car or doing something, which I always remember because nobody was out cleaning their car during an Ireland match in Italia ninety, but they were out doing something. The street was so there was people doing things, and I went running out screaming, "Dad, Dad, come back!" And inside, my brother was, who was, Ireland had just gone, my brother was howling like a pig. Like there was just a sound like, ah! <laughs> and the neighbors looked, they thought something atrocious. There'd been some terrible 
seen as was happening that something terrible had happened in our house because I was running out going dad come back and there was this squealing from the from our house like and that was and they were looking at it going is everything okay is everything okay and I couldn't speak because I was you know just Roddy Whelan and uh, and that was the scene and they were like said but they you know finally we convinced them that there hadn't actually been a, a atrocity <laughs> committed in the house um, but then we went to the Holland game and we went and uh, we went with, uh, actually we went with Eamon Dunphy's son and Eamon Dunphy was already over there. We knew Eamon Dunphy and we were there. And after the game, we went to the team hotel because Eamon Dunphy was still, Eamon Dunphy went to have a drink with Jack Charlton. Uh, and when Eamon Dunphy still talked to Jack Charlton, which I think their relationship lasted for about another 12 hours. Um, and uh, we went and we stood in the lobby myself and my brother and the players were in one room having a meal after the match and uh, Ray Houghton walked by and he grabbed my brother was wearing an Ireland cap and he took it off his head and he went in and and somebody else said you should I think it was Ray Houghton somebody else said you should go and get that cap back and, and there was this playfulness it was it was magic it was absolutely magic and while we were in there, Jack Charlton came out and saw him and Dunphy, and they, he hugged them. And he hugged them. He said, we'll go and have a drink. And they went into a bar to have a drink, and we were just standing there. And as they went into the bar, Mick McCarthy and Frank Stapleton, about a minute later, walked out of the bar. And it turned out they wouldn't be in a bar. They wouldn't be in the same room as, as Eamon Dunphy. So they walked out. Jack Charlton was in there. The next thing, the telephone rang. and the telephone rang in reception and there was some kerfuffle and there was all this noise and everyone said, okay, we better get Jack. It was the Irish president who wanted to talk to Jack. So, you know, he came out into the reception in the lobby of the hotel and took this call from the president and some FAI blazer, all the players were in one room and some FAI blazer went in and said, lads, be quiet. The president of Ireland is on the phone, uh, which of course was a cue for, immediately the entire squad started chanting, there's only one Jackie Charlton. <laughs> so we were standing there as a kid. It was the most incredible book. We were standing there as a kid. I was standing there as a kid, and you had Jack Charlton on the phone to the president of Ireland being congratulated for everything he'd done because Ireland had just been knocked out, but after this incredible week. And in the other room, you had the entire squad, Paul McGrath, Ronnie Whelan, Ray Houghton, John Aldridge, all of them chanting, there's only one Jackie Charlton, while an FAI blazer was waving furiously like, shh, shh, shh. <laughs> But it just, at that moment, it, uh, it symbolized everything about what, what had happened, what, what, what every, every element of Irish life kind of brought together in this moment. And again, that sense that the players at that time would do anything for the manager. Okay, that's brilliant, Dion. That's that's fantastic. Um, great memories of uh, a great tournament and and Jack Charlton. And um, we'll just say rest in peace to Jack Charlton and our sympathies to all his family. And that's it for football spin for today. Thanks very much to Dion and to Naz. And we'll be back tomorrow um, with a, a more regular show. I imagine there's a big weekend of football. Click subscribe to get these shows into your feed on whatever platform you listen to. Good luck. We've qualified for the World Cup. Go and compete.
under pressure. The game is about being effective, being aggressive, winning the ball, getting on with the play. We'll put them under pressure. Put them under pressure.